Hello, and welcome to Voice of the Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. Fly casually with hosts Mark and Kevin as we tackle a variety of topics, bring some of the latest news, answer hard-hitting questions, and explore the various themes in that galaxy far, far away. Welcome to episode 39 of Voice of the Rebellion. I'm Mark. Uh, And I'm Kevin. So today we're going to be talking a bit about uh, the Clone Wars era, but first we're going to be looking at some news. Um, First off, um, how's everything been going with you, Kev? Oh, things have been going pretty good. You know, end of the year stuff, holidays are full of uh, all the stresses. Uh, oh yeah, but between plans and between other games, I've actually been checking out uh, the latest Lego Star Wars game, Skywalker Saga. Yeah, I started playing through that, um, and I decided to start with Episode One, um, and then just move chronologically. And it was fun, but it also felt kind of like there was whole scenes that I felt like needed to have, like a thing that you could play. And it just would sort of, like, skip past those scenes and stuff. So, like, I understand they're trying to fit as much of the content in as possible. But, like, episode one felt kind of sparse. Yeah. um, I kind of feel the same way. It seems like I started with episode four. um, And then I went from episode four to episode seven. Um, And I, I feel like... You know, whereas the uh, older Lego games had like pretty full levels, like five or six each for each movie. Um, I feel like this new game focused on making, putting all of its effort into like hub levels. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so like uh, uh, for A New Hope, you're spending most of it on the Tatooine hub level, running around getting your kyber blocks and and all that crap um and then the actual missions that take place you know the scenes of the movies um they're not very long or very deep and a lot of times they're just cut scenes right Uh, so it's got its perks for sure um i don't know if it's purely nostalgia or not i don't think it lives up to the older games um Mm -hmm. but they are also trying to fit three whole more movies in there than yeah yeah the previous you know big lego game for star wars um i got a couple of lightsabers for christmas which was pretty cool i did see that um, yeah. from any company in particular they're from jvmu um they've got a ton of um different like light effects you can change between a bunch of different colors They've got um, Flash on Clash, which is like a like a requirement for a good lightsaber. That it just means that when they hit something else, it flashes and makes the sound. Um, you can make them silent, which is nice. So if you were filming like a fan film and needed the the audio to be off, so you could have your dialogue while still having the glowing lightsaber, um, you can do that, which is pretty cool. Um, and they it's two of them that came in the box and you can connect them together to make a dual bladed saber. Um, and they're also really, really simple handles and you can find like 3d printed pieces online to 
add on to them, or you, like I was planning on taking some like leather string and wrapping it around it myself and making it a, a custom light, lightsaber. So that does sound pretty cool. Um, for several years now, uh, I've been a member of the Elite Lightsaber Society on Facebook. And What's that? So there's a smallish but very solid community of people who um build lightsabers for fun um like real deal replica level good stuff lightsabers mm-hmm. and um they take it seriously enough to call themselves elites obviously and uh some of the stuff that people put out are pretty good like pretty great um, yeah so that's that's kind of why i was asking um just because i've got a familiarity with like you know saber forge and uh some of these other companies uh and private yeah, yeah. people like solos hold and vader's vault like people who charge hundreds of dollars for their lightsaber replicas and to hear the fans say it uh it's very worth it um yeah, I just I just looked them up and joined the Facebook group. Um, yeah, I've I've always wanted to do like a full Star Wars cosplay. Um, for the longest time, I think I mm-hmm. mentioned last episode wanted to do a stormtrooper armor, but um, yeah, I've been thinking about trying to do sort of a um, like a Jedi on the run, not do like a not do like specifically like Cal Kestis or anything, but do just like a Jedi who just survived Order 66. Right. Yeah, that'd be cool. You know, uh, now that I'm a, a free man who can grow out his hair and his beard, I'm pretty sure I could pull off a pretty sick Kyle Katarn look. That would be cool, yeah. I know I could pull off an Obi-Wan Kenobi because I was able to grow a beard for like three or four months um, back at the start of the pandemic, and it was a very, very good beard. And a lot of people were like, you look like Obi-Wan, so... I think I could pull it off, but I just got to wait until I'm a free man um, in a few years. So still got a few more years left before retirement. Uh, it's a liberating feeling for sure. Um, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get into the news. Did you hear that? That's good news. Okay. So um, you had a piece of news that you had found about uh, Patty Jenkins. Yes, um, I don't know how much news it is versus how much rumor it is um, or hearsay, but supposedly um, during the fallout of all of the James Gunn DC shenanigans that are happening, um, Wonder Woman 3 was publicly terminated. Um, Mm -hmm. And Patty Jenkins had come out and said something to the effect of, you know, still having other projects to work on, including Rogue One or uh, Rogue Squadron, which hasn't Mm. been contrary to, you know, the popular rumors online has not been axed completely. So it'll be interesting um, to see if that comes to fruition or not. Yeah, I had asked, I think, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, right when Patty Jenkins left DC. Um, what would people want to see? Who would they want to see in 
um, a Rogue Squadron movie, like not basing it off of the books or anything, just like, you know, we're going in with, with a fresh slate. Who would you want to see? And somebody said Raul Coley. I said it was you. OK, it, it was, was you. Yeah, that is perfect. Like he would be fantastic as like the leader of Rogue Squadron. I think so, too. Um, and, you know, he's an actor that I really like a lot. Um, yeah, I've, I've liked everything that I've seen him in. And I feel like he's always on Twitter being like, hey, I would love to be in this nerdy thing. Um, you know, Warhammer, Star Wars, whatever. And, you know, things don't happen or whatever, which that's just the nature of the business, I guess. Yeah. But I would I would love to see him uh, join Star Wars and, you know, and in some fashion, the Marvel movies. And it'd be cool to cause I think that they would they should ho- focus a lot more heavily on aliens than they did in um, Andor. I'd love to see a lot of like alien pilots and stuff like that. I agree with that. Um, I, I think something very cool that they could do um, would be to sort of not obviously not adapt the books verbatim or anything like that, but take inspiration from uh, Alphabet Squadron. Yeah, I would love yeah. to see Rogue Squadron take place after Return of the Jedi do a lot of world building for that era that we haven't really seen a ton of yet. Um, and you could feature Poe Dameron's mom. Yes. Because she um, was a A-wing pilot during the Battle of Endor. Now, was she? She was. Because um, I know that there's some inconsistency with Poe, but I, I cannot tell you exactly what it is where uh, I think the her being an A-wing pilot came about in the Poe Dameron um, self-titled comic book run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shara Bay. Rise of Skywalker retconned a huge part of that, of his upbringing and his childhood by having well, him leave from that drug runner planet, and he was like a, a criminal. I believe in the um, in the movie he mentioned like rejecting his parents' upbringing. Mm. Um, that basically he was a, he was raised sort of in this like post empire rebellion and everything. And then went on to like turn against his parents and go and become a drug runner. I think that's, I'd have to like, you know, look more into it, but um, I think that's how it ended up like turning out and that's i think that speaks to one of one of the things that i take a lot of issue with i guess with the new way things run uh in regards to like the franchise and everything because when the acquisition happened um one of the things that they said was that like you know, they're wiping the slate clean. They're getting they're They're officially saying, you know, Legends is not canon. It, it's there's still stories, you know, whatever. We're going to call them Legends. Uh, maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. But, you know, they realistically, they couldn't continue the franchise in the way that they wanted to. While all of that baggage existed, and that's perfectly yeah. fine. 
But, yeah. You know, anyone who doesn't understand that is just being uh, obtuse uh, yeah. on purpose. <laughs> However, they said that it was going to be a canon. Mm-hmm. A continuous canon. Yeah. Um, but then almost immediately, we've got, you know, we've got es- essentially the filmmakers on, on that side of the franchise uh, just sort of trampling over or walking on some of the stuff that happens in the expanded media. Yeah, and they honestly no. should have probably waited to do any books or comics until after the trilogy was released so that they didn't have any worry about stepping on anything if they were wanting to keep it all canon. Well, I agree with that, but at the same time, I I don't know anything about making movies, right? Um, J.J. Abrams could listen to this podcast and send me a DM and and tell me how wrong I am. He does. I can't. He's our biggest fan. Um, I can't imagine that it's that hard to be like, all right, I'm in the writer's room. This is what I want to do in the movie. Uh, I want to I want to do this with this character. Does that contradict anything that currently exists for that character? Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, some dweeb in the room is going to be like, well, yeah, actually, in Poe Dameron number 13, uh, it's by, established by the name of Pablo Yeah, exactly. Pablo is um, the guy who's supposed to be in charge of that. And. You know, it, like I get. I fully appreciate the fact that screen uh, screen content will always take precedence over everything else. It's their number one moneymaker. It's the number one draw for an audience. There's no arguing that. But, you know, again, how hard is it to be like, hey, uh, what fits this character's story that's, uh, you know, going to work or whatever? Because the people who care about it are going to care about it. The people who don't know the comics aren't going to know any difference one way or the other. Yeah. So you might as well. So you might as well just try to keep things, you know, somewhat aligned or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, uh, we better get to the topic of the episode before I go off on a full rant about things. Yeah. Well, really quick. There's one other piece of news. We do know that skeleton crew Mm. is going to be coming out in 2023. So that's beyond getting a new Mandalorian. And I think, is Andor supposed to be released in 2023? Or was, they, was <laughs> is that going to be another, are they pushing that I, back? I don't know. I know that they're filming right now. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to how long the turnaround was between them finishing last, like the first season and then releasing it. And then, you know, this season and releasing it. And um, they finished filming for Skeleton Crew, and then they're um, supposed to be releasing that in 2023. It looks like it's supposed to be taking place around the same timeline as Mandalorian. Um, and they, they're calling it a coming-of-age story, but Jude Law is the main character. like one of, Well, one of the main characters in it. I don't think he's supposed to be playing like the um he's not supposed to be the uh antagonist or anything. I think he's supposed to be the main dude. But the one of the creators of the show is John Watts, who is the mm. Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man trilogy. Right. Um and he was supposed to be working on Fantastic 4 before he left it to come work 
on this. So, based on the name and based on the fact that Jude Law is in it, who himself looks and sounds like an Imperial, like, if I had to guess, it would be, like, a defector crew of something like, maybe, like, an Architens light cruiser or something like that that is, you know, then has this this small skeleton crew trying to, like, escape to the Rebellion or something like that. Because um, I just can't see Jude Law playing anybody but at least an ex-Imperial, you know? You know, <clears throat> based on absolutely no evidence, mm-hmm. I've been picturing Skeleton Crew being, like, a scavenger crew of some sort. Um, Definitely could be that, too, yeah. Almost, almost like a Lost Boys or something, right? Um, and again, that's based on literally nothing. Um, yeah. But I mean, it does sound like it. And then the two other people who have been announced for it are both um, kids. So I, I would think that Jude Law is going to come in and play the mentor role uh, for whatever the situation happens to be. We also recently got set photos for Acolyte. Yes. Uh, yeah. Within the last month or so. Uh, I think so, you know a little bit more about Acolyte than I do. It is set during the High Republic, which is like 400 years before um, the movies. Um, the way we know that is because everybody's wear all the Jedi are wearing gold robes, um, which is their thing back in that era. <coughs> Hold on, I need to cough. I'll cut this out. <coughs> um, and we've seen photos of um, a Wookiee in Jedi robes. We've seen um, a Zabrak in Jedi. I think they were in Jedi robes as well. And then the main actor from Squid Game is apparently going to be one of the main characters. And we've seen him in Jedi robes as well. Um, so it's taking place then. But the image, like for the Acolyte, is all in red. And then there's a big slash across it that's like glowing like lightsaber fire. So I'm guessing it will probably be centered around a, a Jedi, maybe one of the Lost, what was it, the Lost Dozen, the Lost Ten? Um, but a Jedi actually leaving the Order and going and becoming an Acolyte to whoever the Sith Lord is at the moment, is what I would guess. But it could be it could be really, really interesting, so hopefully we'll um, find more out about that soon. Because those set photos looked the costumes looked fantastic. So I've uh, I've got a quick hot take um, mm-hmm. related to one of the things you mentioned there. I don't know if it's just me. I don't like Jedi robes. Yeah, at all. Um, one of my favorite things about like 90s era Star Wars mm-hmm. was. All of these Legends characters, all the expanded universe characters wearing different costumes. Yeah, they all kind of uh, wore whatever they wanted to. Yeah, you know, you got it wasn't boots until like, and jackets and vests, Jedi running yeah. around with like blasters on their hips. Yeah, so it, cool. was, it wasn't until Lucas came along and did episode one that it was like, oh, everybody's in robes. Yeah, every, everybody wears robes. It's all yeah. browns. It's all everybody dresses Asians. exactly like Obi Wan Kenobi, making it all the more confusing that Obi Wan Kenobi dresses that way when he's trying to be in hiding. And it was explained uh, that, like, across the galaxy, most people dress like that, but we haven't seen any evidence of that. <laughs> Nobody dresses like that except for Jedi. 
Well, we got to wait for the next 12 movies to come out to flesh out all that galaxy. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then we did, I did see that um, Daisy Ridley has said that she might be interested in coming back. Um, and same with um, Oscar Isaac. He said that he might possibly come back. He might consider it. And John Boyega even said that if if those two were involved, then he'd be interested. Um, so it seems like he's um, like cooled a bit from his reaction at the end of the last trilogy, where he was like, "I'm never coming back to any of this." Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like you know, being away for a few years, he's like, you know what? Yeah, may- maybe you know, you find the right. You find the right director, the right producers, and things like that, um, who also, you know, ensure that his character gets a fully fleshed out story and make make uh, allow him to do interesting things. Then he's uh, allow him to do in anything other than just yell Ray for three movies. Yeah, yeah. Then he might actually be willing to come back, which I think would be cool. I think so too. Um, I, re- I really think that John got the short end of the stick. Uh, yeah. in a lot of ways with the trilogy. Yeah. And like I would say, like oh, I want I would want them to wait for ten years before doing a new, like numbered trilogy, with those characters. Except the problem with Hollywood actors nowadays is that ten years pass and the characters look identical. Like look at, I know it hasn't been a full ten years, but like, um, you look at Rogue One and then Andor, and he hasn't changed a single bit, and he's playing a younger version of himself, and it lo- it works just fine. Like actors in Hollywood nowadays just don't age. And so you'd have to wait at least like 30 years before you actually like had the characters look like they had aged <laughs> to, you know, look uh, like older and wiser. Otherwise, they're still going to look like a bunch of kids running around. Well, you know, now that you mention it, not to tangent us too much uh, more than we already have, but um, do you think that there's a place for more numbered additions to the saga? I don't think that they would need to be part of the Skywalker saga. So I don't think they need to be numbered. I wouldn't mind what, like, okay, imagine, just out of the blue, they release a teaser trailer, kind of like that very first teaser trailer we saw for The Force Awakens. But it comes out of the blue, and you get to see, like, little glimpses of Poe and Finn and Rey. You see BB-8 rolling around, but he's got, like, one of his panels is different or something because he's all old and beaten up. It's red. And then it says, yeah, we, you probably wouldn't recognize him. Um, but, and then it just says episode one. And you're like, wait, what? Because it's episode one of like a new trilogy. That would be kind of cool. Like as long as people weren't like, I thought this was supposed to be a remake of Phantom Menace. <laughs> I think that would be a neat way to do it. Um, yeah. I personally don't think that there, you know, to answer my own question, I don't think there needs to be any more additions to the Skywalker saga. Yeah. yeah. But the numbered movie is also so intrinsically tied to Star Wars marketing in general that yeah, I don't think that there's a future where we don't get, you know, an episode uh, nine or, or 10 or whatever. Right. Um, or you can even have it say like part one or or episode a. You know, <laughs> give it some other type of 
of numbering or lettering system. All right, but now we should probably go ahead and hop into our topic. I see your point, sir. So how would you like me to start this? Do you want me to just start talking about my tweet thread? And then yeah. we can sort of banter back and forth about that for a while? Yeah, we can start there for sure. All right, so got to say about a week ago, um, I wrote a Twitter thread about the Confederacy of Independent Systems. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, I'll sort of paraphrase here what I was um, saying in that thread. So everybody likes to think about the Confederacy of Independent Systems, the CIS, the, um, the separatists, as bad because they're run by a Sith as opposed to the Jedi. But first, the Republic was also run by a Sith. Like, the, the galaxy at large didn't know that, but it was a Sith running the other side of things, and he was, he was running both sides. Um, and the CIS, you could look at and say, they're bad because they're headed by groups like the Banking Clan and the Commerce Guild and the Corporate Alliance. But the Banking Clan also dealt with the Republic during the war. They were um, extending credit to them. Apparently it was like, you know, much higher rates and stuff like that. But the Republic was still relying on the banking clan. And I would have to imagine the Commerce Guild and Corporate Alliance too, because you need corporations to be out there building all of your ships and things like that. And um, if we look at the CIS, I think they actually have a better moral ground to stand on. Because if you look at the troops of the Republic... They're clones who were raised up from infancy to be super soldiers. The clones we all see killed during the war, those are nine and ten year old kids. And who relieves them? Who who leads them? A group of religious acolytes who were stolen as children from their families. So right off the bat, the people who are fighting on the side of the Republic are either children or they were raised from childhood to be enforcers of Republic rule. But who's fighting on the side of the CIS? Droids. Which we can get into a whole... We, we, I know we've had on this podcast before whole discussions about the sentience of droids and things like that. But they're not living things. They're manufactured. The CIS armies are no more than a big old horde of walking iPhones. Meanwhile, the Republic is putting child soldiers onto the battlefield. And what planets make up the CIS? They're not the core worlds, the rich and the powerful. They're the outer worlds, those left behind and forgotten by the Republic. They don't have the resources the core worlds do. This is an attack by the wealthy to preserve the status quo. Lucas did call to mind the Civil War when evoking the Clone Wars. He has the Grand Army of the Republic versus the Confederacy, so naturally automatically you're going to be thinking in your head that the Confederacy are the bad guys because you have the Grand Army of the Republic opposing them. And did the CIS commit atrocities during the war? Definitely. We're going to talk about all those. But the Clone Wars, the, the actual show, is Republic propaganda. They're not showing us the atrocities committed by the Republic, for the most part. They do show us some. So, in the end... I think I'm on the side of long live the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Uh, I think I agree with that. Um, and that's a stance that I've had for a long time. Um, I think 
I may have even mentioned it our last podcast episode, but I'm not sure. Um, I've been waiting for Star Wars in general to have some creator to have the courage to explore the idea that the Confederacy had a point um, and that it wasn't a bad point. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, um, you know, I, I'm one of the people who, you know, loves George Lucas. Um, I think he's, you know, the, you know, obviously the creator of star Wars and everything, uh, done a lot of good, but one of his strengths was not subtle storytelling. No. Um, I don't think that Lucas had the capability of doing the nuance that a story like the prequels really needed. Um, you know, he, he came out and said very clearly like, yeah, this is about the Bush administration. This is about the war in Iraq. This is about nine 11. Um, and all, all that stuff tracks. One thing I do think is that it's not just that he's incapable. I think he doesn't have any interest in subtlety. No, he, no, no, no. He is, he, he is making a movie for children about space wizards. So I think he's trying to put them, make it as obvious as possible so that kids can fully grasp it. Well, you can also go back to that. his influence in like Flash Gordon and all of the pulp adventures of, you know, like the 30s and 40s and stuff. Those things weren't interested in subtlety either. The bad yeah. guys were the bad guys and the good guys were the good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you showed up every week or every novel or every magazine to see how that story developed or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're 100% right. He is not interested whatsoever in Shades of Grey storytelling. Um, that's why, you know, the original trilogy is just a black, white, good versus evil mythology. Um, yeah. Getting into the prequels, I think that's. Obviously, he still had that creative philosophy, but the prequels suffer for it in a way that the original trilogy does not, um, because at least in my opinion, the original trilogy kind of comes cro- across as like a. Um, almost like a like a Shakespearean play in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, it, like even down to the dialogue, everything is so stilted, it's formal. There's this heavy emotional weight and mythology to things like Luke getting the lightsaber. It's like, you know, Arthur pulling Excalibur, um, fighting his father in front of the emperor is, you know, like having a showdown with the devil. Like these things have this huge mythological weight to them to the mm-hmm. point that Star Wars has sort of become its own mythology. Whereas yeah. vice versa, the events of the prequel movies hit so close to a lot of the current events of the time. Like it's so hard to separate, you know, like the fact that it's about nine 11, that it was about the, the Bush administration that, you know, again, in my opinion, the prequels don't hold that same mythological weight. So yeah. the shades of gray, really are begging to be explored and they're not. I think they do get explored a little bit in the Clone Wars series. For sure. Absolutely. Um, The Clone Wars series has done so much for the prequels uh, as far as expanding truly what's a really good story. 
Uh, yeah. There's always been a good story nestled in that trilogy of movies. It's and, just that the movies themselves don't tell it very well. And me and Gabe had previously talked about um, specifically one of the episodes we like. I think it's actually a couple episodes we like the most, which is the uh, the lemur people. And the whole question of what does pacifism mean when you aren't in a place where you can be a pacifist. It has interesting questions like that that it, that the TV show brings up. Um, and it does show a few Republic atrocities here and there. Not full-blown atrocities like the CIS, but it does show some of the things that they do that that the Republic does that is not good. I've, I saw a thing online that was talking about how every episode of the Clone Wars is screaming at the screen, Anakin, please stop doing war crimes. <laughs> uh, yes. And I think part of that is it goes back to a lot of, you know, Lucas had a, a heavy, heavy influence on Clone Wars, um, even though he wasn't the only creator for it. Yeah. Once it was back, and, once it was back with Disney, he was still a heavy, heavy influence on it. Yeah. Right. And I think part of um, part of that imbalance of portrayal does go back to that black and white. The good guys are the good guys. The bad guys are the bad guys type of storytelling that Lucas uh, loves so much or, or, you know, indulges in so much mm-hmm. where, you know, the characters on the screen will be like, hey, uh, separatists, this is really bad. This that you're doing is a war crime. And. You know, they nudge the audience. The audience goes, yeah, that is bad. But when mm-hmm. the Republic is doing something that's truly kind of fucked up, um, it's portrayed in a way where like, oh, there goes that silly Ahsoka again with her quips and stuff like ignore the fact that they're committing like cultural genocide right now. Yeah. Um, and then she goes, oh, no, I'm sorry, Sky Guy. Yeah. And he's like, Oop. it's OK. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, lesson learned they fly off to the next episode. Which is why I said the Clone Wars is Republic propaganda. Like, yeah, exactly. Thing. And actually, they even there's there's a big contingent of fans who say that that um, original animated shorts series of the Clone Wars, the reason why the Jedi are so incredibly powerful is because it is literally a piece of propaganda in the Republic that is like a cartoon shown to the to children to show how amazing the Jedi are. Yeah. Which I, I definitely agree with based on the absolutely wild things that the Jedi do. I could, I could get on board with that. Minus the, uh, Anakin like stuff, you know, like he went to that cave and saw the vision of him becoming Darth Vader. And yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Then of course there's also the episode where Grievous infiltrates Coruscant and kidnaps Palpatine. Um, but outside of that stuff, uh, I, I I get the intent, and I think it's a, a yeah. cool idea for sure. Yeah, atrocities, war crimes on both sides. Um, yeah, one of the things that you and I had discussed in your Twitter thread, um, and this this would be point towards the separatists, and you know I I'm going to get into some real life politics here for a second too um 
because everything is political, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. Um, and this is like, this is a stance that has taken me by surprise as I've gotten older and come to this opinion. Um, and, you know, I'll preface it by saying in no way, shape or form do I support the fucking civil war, the Confederate States, um, you know, Which, every the one accent, of their, the accent, it, it is appreciated that that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, people want to scream up and down that it was about states' rights, and that may be true at some point of the argument, but full stop, every single one of their state charters, like, the first sentence was, we want slaves. Yeah. Um, so they suck, they deserve to lose, and have all their shit burned. Um, but, as I've gotten older, um, and especially when I'm thinking about things like the prequel trilogy, and the, the CIS, and their whole point, like there is a very strong argument to be made about governmental overreach coming from a place that's so far removed from your community. Um, and for anyone listening who doesn't know, I live in Oklahoma, which isn't a great place to live. Sure. But, you know, I can speak from experience that it's wild to have everybody like on both sides of a political argument shouting at each other over what they want to be a nationwide policy that's based on the mindset of people who live in like New York city. Yeah. Um, because you know, I, I am a leftist, no doubt about it, but there are places where my left wing politics do not look like, you know, a New York city leftist left wing politics. Mm-hmm. And those don't look like, you know, someone from Dallas's left wing politics or someone from uh, Seattle's left wing politics. Like our regions have their own cultures to them within the United States. Yeah. And those different cultures have different values and different outlooks on different topics that are never black and white. There's always shades to most topics. Obviously, some things are full stop wrong, right? But, um, you know, in, in my opinion, like the United States is is too big to truly efficiently be governed the way that it's governed. And then yeah. when you think about something like Star Wars in that concept, uh, that context, you're talking about like an entire galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> it's being run by like two senators per planet on one planet in the center of this galaxy. Well, um, not only that, but there's, let me see how many senators there are. The Galactic Senate is made up of over 2,000 congressmen. Wow, 2,000, huh? Yeah, so 2,000 for, and let's see Trillions. how many. But number Quadrillions. Number um planets in the Republic. There are about 1.3... The Galactic Republic represents 1.3 million planets around the time of the prequels. So... Yeah. So you get some, some people out there in the galaxy who very, very reasonably are like, why, are, why is Coruscant making decisions for my entire planet? Yeah. Um, you know... 
Space Monsanto just passed a law in the Galactic Senate saying that I couldn't, uh, I, I can't grow Java fruit on my farm on this planet that's so far removed from everything that doesn't matter. Um, Each senator represents 650 planets. Yeah, and there's there's no way to make that work. No. Um, so all these people... Like, yeah, it's going to be super easy for someone like Dooku to swing in and be like, hey, do you want to defect from the Republic? Like, hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Give me my autonomy back. Let us make decisions at, at a planetary level or whatever. You know, that's that's a hard. It's a hard thing to say is just absolutely wrong. Yeah. And then I was running a Star Wars role playing game campaign that took place after uh, episode nine. And I kind of took that stance that the I, I and I said the galaxy had sort of taken that stance, and the galaxy was split up into tons of tiny little like fiefdoms and governments and everything, because they were like, no, we've seen what galactic government is like, and now that it's now that the first order has been brought down after they did their big sweep of the galaxy. Like, there's not a big central government. Let's just do our own thing. Because um, I think that's probably the most realistic response the galaxy would have after watching galactic government after galactic government collapse over the course of, like, 30 years. I think, you know, ultimately... Um, I had watched this video. Uh, I think I recommended it to you about like the foundations of star Wars and yeah. Yeah. It's a great video. Uh, I really liked a lot of the points that, um, the YouTuber had to make, but, um, one of the things that he, he ends on one, like his entire, I guess, uh, thesis statement that he built that whole video up to was saying that ultimately star Wars is a bad story, which I dis I disagree with, but his point in saying that was, because by design, it never ends. The dark side is in power. Good guys rise up to beat it. They're in power. Bad guys rise up to beat it. They're in power o over and over and over and over and over. Um, and our, our nine movies have proved that, you know, the original trilogy was Rebels versus the Empire. OK, fine. Um, well, the prequel movies ended up being, you know, um, not Rebels versus the Proto-Empire that turned yeah. into Rebels versus Empire. OK, well, when we had the chance to do something different with the sequels, we just did Rebels versus Empire again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's in in universe explanations for these things, um, but it just it ultimately just swings from like fascist empire to whatever the replacement is back to fascist empire back to replacement um but the reality of the situation is i think that's what would happen that's that's what we see happen ourselves exactly like you know in, in the situation um where you've got your galactic fiefdoms like you've talked about and like i've talked mm -hmm. about like that's a, a that to us that is a a reasonable way to run the galaxy that's not as corrupt as the Republic was without being a fascist empire. However, the moment 
a, a handful of those fiefdoms decide to band together mm-hmm. and start taking over the other fiefdoms. Well, who's going to stop that? Well, the other groups have to band together to fight back. Yeah. And then you're and back then to rebels empire versus empire. Rebels, yeah. Um, you know, you've got your Republic eventually it's going to get so corrupt. It's going to topple. It's going to collapse from the inside and either it's a coup and we get Emperor Palpatine or it's a power vacuum and the strong is going to inherit the system. Well, the quickest, strongest inheritor is going to be a fascist empire. Um, as, as shitty as it is, you know, they, they burn out fast for a reason. Um, but they also grab power fast for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like that guy said, like Star Wars will always swing back and forth. But I, I just think that's what would happen in a situation where you're dealing with a galactic scale civilization. Yeah, yeah. There's Absolutely. just no right answer. Yeah. And even like if you go back further in the. I guess, you know, now now legends history. The same thing was happening just on like longer scales of peace um but you'd have the sith rise up and cause mayhem and the republic despite being the republic would kind of be put on the back foot and be their own version of the rebellion over and over and over again um i think there was like probably like five or six different sith wars that took place over the course of like i don't know twenty thousand years so And then if it's not the Sith, it's the uh, Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, it's not yeah. the Mandalorians of the Sith, it's the Rakata. R- yeah, who were called Rikata out there. in Andor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, I, I really appreciate the Rakata. I was like, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> I, I loved the Easter egg, but it also made me cringe because the, the Revan fans who never truly ever go away were just empowered that much more. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody somebody mentioned like the KOTOR uh, Reddit page and they were like the entire page the, the, the entire subreddit is just people asking who is stronger than Revan and the answer is nobody. It's because they were Revan. That's, that's why everybody gets so obsessed with like who could beat Revan because when they discovered that they themselves were Revan, they were like, oh, I'm the best thing ever. <laughs> um, a buddy of mine ran uh, the Weston Games D6 Star Wars for a long time. Yeah. And um, he was able to run a campaign with three players who did not play KOTOR. Mm. And he just he just ran them through KOTOR as a story. That's fantastic. And uh, when he pulled the Revan switcheroo on his player that was secretly Revan, he said it like, like the guy had to take a break from the game for a couple <laughs> weeks um, and think about his life. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, because um, I like sitting, sitting down at a table with your players would be, and doing that would be pretty trippy. But so um, let's. Let's get into some of the morality of the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, Do I want to talk about the clones and the droids, but first I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Um, and th- there may, just may not be an answer to this question, but when you have somebody like Palpatine 
mm-hmm. who is who's running both sides of the war. Yeah, which, by the way, a uh, genius move on George Lucas's part. That in the end, there was like the entire thing was just a chess game he was playing with himself. Yeah, there really? was. It really shows a level of like strategic mastermindedness uh honestly that like the more you think about it the more the more i respect palpatine as an in-universe character mm-hmm. um it, it helps me ignore the things like uh yelling unlimited power while he shocks himself to death yeah <laughs> um multiple times for some reason because he doesn't learn yeah. his lesson um but yeah like you know, he was perfectly set up to win no matter what. Yeah. Um, he would be in charge no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by utilizing the Confederacy the way that he did with droids, with primarily alien uh, populations, um, with these resistance cell style breakaways who, you know, they wanted out of the Republic he's able to then restructure the galaxy in a way that is anti-droid, anti-alien and anti-descent. Um, because yeah. those things are all the reason why the Republic crumbled. Yeah. Um, so it was a brilliant move on his part. But my question is, is there a way for a group to maneuver throughout the clone wars in a in a moral way with someone like palpatine ultimately pulling the strings and when you say like a group do you mean like one of the two factions or like a smaller like let me let me relate it to real life in a way that's kind of uncomfortable and i'm certain that you've thought a lot about it i know that i thought a lot about it when i was in the military do you get to operate in the military morally unscathed if the people who are calling the shots are morally wrong? Um, if, if their goals are bad? I think you can operate on a personal scale of morality and on like fulfilling your own personal beliefs on a individual scale like a single person separate from the overall from the overall thing i i honestly think not everybody in the empire is like a frothing raving fascist some people are like listen this is the government i'm just gonna you know I'm going to get up and go to work and and go home and see my family. I'm going to do the best I can to like do the most right I can every day and just do my job and get by because this is what exists. You know, I live on Coruscant. How am I going to even get in contact with the rebellion if I wanted to? Mm -hmm. And I don't want Um, to because that's going to disrupt my whole family. Um, but, yeah, and and you know, I might go but, die, and then who's going to take care of my family? But my job specifically does not require me to do any anything that has anything to do with 
you know, these atrocities I've been hearing from the Empire, you know, going on over on the other side of the galaxy. And, and it's not even like I am doing anything that helps aid the galactic war machine. I'm just doing my thing, you know, purely operating on my own outside of all that. So I think that is possible. Um, but I think once you then begin to get up into, you know, unit level and, and higher, that's where then you begin to question that um. a bit. Um, so I think that if we're looking specifically at the Clone Wars, trying to move through that space, I think 100%. I think that especially, especially far more than, you know, the Galactic um, Empire versus the Rebellion, the Clone Wars is the era in which you would want to be fighting on either side if you wanted to be on the moral high ground. I think both sides, you could operate on the moral high ground and serve in the military fully. Um, I, I agree. The minute you start getting sent off to, you know, to, uh, to virus bomb a whole planet, that's where things become, become tricky with the Clone Wars. Um, but prior to that, yeah. Uh, one one of the reasons I, I wanted to ask that is because, um, you know, something that you kind of alluded to um, was the fact that, like, it's so easy for people like the fans or whatever to write off everybody in the CIS as, as being bad. Um, well, why are they bad? And you go, well, their leader is Count Dooku, who has a red lightsaber, which we all know means he's evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all choosing to follow him. But, He's working directly for Darth Sidious. Exactly. Let's ignore the um, fact that Anakin is having daily conferences with Darth Sidious. <laughs> you can you can make the argument like, well, Palpatine's not openly Sith. Uh, you can argue his morality or his good versus evil nature uh, as a politician, but you know that argument is also sort of a slippery slope because how many people, how many average people in the Confederacy know that Dooku is who he is? Yeah. People are kind of red Darth Tyrannus. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, something that has been really a hot topic since Andor has come out, um, that I think so many people don't appreciate is how rare the force is or, uh, like force users are. Yeah. Um, you talked about the what, like one point something million known planets in the Galactic Republic. Yeah. There were 10,000 Jedi at their height. Yeah. Um, and um, in fact, I'm going to try to look this up. Um, keep talking. I had actually written a long post at one point all about the number of Jedi. Yeah. So this, this yeah. concept that, Dooku's um not only his his force um capabilities but the context of that and what it means you know light side dark side evil good all that stuff the idea that everybody or even anybody would know offhand what that means just because we the audience are so closely entwined with that being the you know the the cornerstone of the franchise 
putting yourself in the shoes of the average Joe in Star Wars in the Star Wars galaxy, they're not going to know that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's unfair in my mind to hold them to a standard like that. Um, not only is it unfair, it's short sighted because those citizens don't know that about him. Yeah. And if you're making the argument that, well, we don't know that about Palpatine, you're making the argument for them. They don't know that about Dooku. Yeah. Um, but if you say, well, that doesn't matter, they're still following him and he's evil, then you're cutting out your own argument. Well, it doesn't matter if Palpatine's pretending to be good or not. He is ultimately evil. Yeah. Um, Here is a, yeah. what I had. Pre- and I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, um, you know, just not with you. There are um, 100 quadrillion sentient beings in the known galaxy. That's there's 50 million worlds. Uh, I nearly 50 million worlds are pledged to the Republic. I can't remember what I had said before, but this I wrote this in 2015. So, you know, numbers may have changed, but the Jedi at the height of their power were 10,000. And if you do the math, that's one Jedi for every hundred billion sentient beings. Earth's population is 7 billion. A hundred billion is 14 Earth's worth of people. There is one Jedi per 5,000 worlds. Those kinds of numbers, I think, are staggering. Um, often in a way that it's best if you just don't think about them. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking stuff like, like this, I do think it's really important to bring it up. You know, people are like, oh, well, Andor isn't Star Wars because there's no Jedi and nobody know who knows you know, who Jedi are or what they are or whatever. And I'm like, and there's like one Jedi per 5,000 worlds or whatever. Um, most people don't know, don't care. Um, they're just trying to survive and make it to the next day. They don't know or care that Anakin's off, you know, getting into some more shenanigans. They can't the audience has the perspective of every major movie following the Jedi. So exactly. Yeah. Um, they, they come across as much more prevalent than they really are in that um, environment. Yeah. And can um, I just say really quick with, as far as like the yes. Jedi go, um, I have been watching the Willow TV show, which I like a lot. I know it's, that's not a popular opinion. Apparently people really dislike it, but I really enjoy it, but people I really dislike everything. Exactly. But before the show came out, I went and I watched the original movie again. And I know that like George Lucas came up with like the general story and everything. Um, but it was directed by Ron Howard. And then I was rewatching Avatar in preparation to go see the Avatar movie. And I realized something. Willow. Star Wars and Avatar all have this whole thing about like every living thing is connected to one another, man. And I realized that all of these directors all came out of the same like world of the 1970s, like California directing school, like program. Yeah. And apparently there was something going on on that campus because every single one of them is like, everything's an energy field connected to everything else. And that's what what magic is like every single one. <laughs> it was the LSD. Yeah, it would have to be. 
but I found that really amusing when I was like watching Willow. I'm like, they're just talking about the Force, and then we were watching Avatar, and I was like, wait a minute, they're just talking about the Force. <laughs> so side tangent, but um, I'm excited to have a discussion about the Force someday. Oh yeah, we can. I can. I'm ready to dive deep into that. I'll have to go um, back and look and see what exactly we covered in previous episodes. I know we talked about the Force in the past. And for the listeners, I don't want to like retread old stuff, but I mean, you've got brand new perspectives on stuff, so I'm sure whatever we talk about will bring out all kinds of new stuff. Back on Clone Wars. Yes. Um, something that you had brought up in your Twitter thread was um, the use of droids versus clones yeah um and some of the points that you had made was were that um you know the the droids setting aside the argument of droid sentience for a moment um you know the droids are manufactured they're not flesh and blood living things um and therefore not connected to the force therefore not connected to the force um whereas the clones are uh <laughs> living organisms with a horrific uh life and experience um who are born uh accelerated raised brainwashed and thrust into a war that is literally the only thing they'll ever know um i think that there's there's some uh, pros and cons to both, especially when you're talking about sort of the morality of the different things. Um, I think very clearly that uh, using clones in such a manner is way more uh, morally bad than um, like using droids. Yeah. Because yeah. you're talking about creating no argument sentience um and like raising it to to just be fed into the machine um, yeah but i think one of the big downsides of the droids um is that it's much easier to be morally distant from the outcome of your decisions, like your command decisions, um, your, you know, everything. Um, because you get to plug in some droids or program some droids and you send them on their way mm -hmm. and they go, they go do their thing. You, there's no emotion. There's no thought. Um, or there's at least no um, dynamic thought to that process, mm -hmm. um, which is a con for the droids. The droids just show up and they do what they're told to do. No different than, you know, one of these horrific little police robots that, uh, you know, bebops around and shoots people. Because it's programmed. Uh, San, San Francisco said that they weren't going to equip any of those robots with guns. They were just going to equip them with explosives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Gotta love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah. Um. So. You know, with with all that, um, sort of being said, the the pro on the clone side, in my opinion, is that these clones have that dynamic thought. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to be introduced to a system um, where, uh, you know, they they might go into a town or something, and they can think dynamically and realize, well, the collateral damage here is going to hurt innocent people. We need to not do this here. Mm-hmm. We can go fight our battle elsewhere. Whereas the droids don't think that way. Um, or, you know, in theory, they don't. I, the droids are all over the place in the Clone Wars. Um, I know it's a good show. It is one of my few gripes about the Clone Wars as a series. Um, the slapstick comedy of the droids. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you get where I'm going. Like, it's one thing to send an un, unfeeling, uh, unthinking machine, a Terminator, into a, a battle zone to do whatever. It's probably not going to care about collateral damage or civilian damage or mm-hmm. um, infrastructure damage unless it's been specifically programmed to care about those things. But then you introduce a a living, breathing, feeling clone trooper into that situation. And even though they've been bred for battle and brainwashed for battle uh, in their own way, programmed for battle, they're still going to have that level of humanity, for lack of a better word, to them um, that allows them to uh, like go out of their way to save a kid or care about collateral damage in a way that the droid armies don't. the on on the front end of it, I think it's morally horrific to have a clone army like that. But on the back end of it or whatever, you know, the other side of it. Yeah, I do think that they have a. Uh, a better. Dynamic. Uh, impact and, and thought making process uh, or decision making process in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah. is the Republic's whole reason for using them in the first place. Um, plus, you know, both both sides get the benefit of. Um, I, I, both sides get the double edged sword, the benefit and, and the. Um, not benefit, there's a word for it, uh, it's escaping me, but uh, of Different. using an army that does not draw from the pool of their own communities. It yeah. keeps those their home communities separate from the war. So it's not like then ties in a bit with George Lucas really emphasizing that the, the prequels are the war on terror in that in the modern day, fewer and fewer Americans are in any way tied to members of the military. Yeah. Everything is so so far removed. Because so many members of the military are descendant of, they're like the kids of currently serving military members, that we've kind of created this warrior class of people who, like, most Americans are completely disconnected from the military, so when you say you're going to be sending the military off to go fight somewhere, it's like, okay, 
you know, they don't know anybody who's in the military, so it doesn't connect with them at all. Until, uh, until someone needs to use military deaths to score points or um, emphasize, you know, their argument or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like nobody gives a shit about something until it's time to, you know, interrogate Hillary for 13 hours about Benghazi. Yeah. Um, like nobody cares about these things until they are told that they care about these things. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder to what extent there's something similar happening in like, like the, the prequel, the Clone Wars. Um, does the Republic ever come out and be like, well, these, these brave clone troopers are being killed by the, uh, the loveless, emotionless droid armies that just march inexorably forward. Um, you know, the, the brave, the brave boys in white are the front line of defense and, and they need your, you know, they need your support by these war bonds, um, buy some boots for these guys that need it, you know, whatever. I wonder if the Republic tries to utilize that emotional propaganda in the same way. I know I've got that propaganda book somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got some war bond posters in it, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be interesting to see how, how a organization um, man, uh, manipulates or utilizes their faceless armies, droid or clone. Um, to try and, and manipulate their populace into being emotionally invested or being supportive or, or whatever they're trying to get them to do. Um, I think that, you know, that kind of bridges into something about the empire um, that I've, I've made the argument for quite a bit. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people take for granted or, or overlook um, is with the stormtroopers. You know, everybody talks about like, the joke, you know, being that the stormtrooper armor doesn't do anything. Um, and, you know, as much as I love them, movies and shows like Rogue One and Andor really show that the stormtrooper armor truly doesn't do anything when, you know, Jen is beating up stormtroopers with a, a nightstick and, you know, Brasso headbutts a stormtrooper yeah. and knocks the guy out. Like, you know, what what's the armor really for? Um, yeah. But my stance on that has always been that um, the empire is, is fully the opposite of what the CIS and what the Republic were doing during the clone wars. The empire is conscripting these people out of their communities purposefully, um, hiring them, recruiting them, conscripting them, whatever, turning them into stormtroopers, um, turning them into mil- members of the Imperial army or the Imperial Navy. Um, so that anytime there is rebel activity, there is dissent. Well, you're you're rebelling, you're dissenting against people from these communities that you're also from. Yeah. Which then gets those communities to turn against those who are doing the empire harm. Um, because yeah. you're not just shooting, you know, Django Fett's clone or a you know random battle droid. You're shooting Bill, uh, Bill's kid from down the road who went yeah. into the stormtrooper core. Uh, and, and you don't, and you don't know because they're all faceless. They're all faceless and all, um, you know, just a series of numbers and the empire. And in my opinion, my head cannon of this whole thing, stormtrooper armor is what it is on purpose. Mm-hmm. The stormtroopers are meant to be mowed down so that the empire can go 
Look at this. Bill's son mowed down by rebels. Look how they um, massacred my boy. Yeah, look look what they did uh, to this, yeah. this bright young man from your world, your community, your home. Um, it could be you next. They don't care about you. Uh, you know, whatever. I think they I think it's all intentional for maximum emotional manipulation. Yeah. And in most cases, like most stormtroopers are going to go their entire lives just hanging out, doing their patrols, things like that, that um, they never nobody's going to see them getting mowed down for the most part. They're just going to see these terrifying troops in armor. Mm hmm. Um, and then, you know. Uh, the internal like manipulation and propaganda of it all is like, like you said, the dehumanization within the ranks of the empire. All those stormtroopers are faceless. They're mm -hmm. all just a number. The pilots are all faceless. They're all just a number. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's a way for, to minimize the impact of loss in the military side of the empire. Um, you know, your your squad mates all get gunned down while well, they were just numbers anyways, and you rarely saw their face. So, yeah, you know, you're not close to them. You don't have that tight camaraderie. Most most, you know, squads didn't have that tight camaraderie. Well, then you, um, and then you look at the um, era of the First Order and he gets Finn gets chewed out for removing his helmet without permission. Yeah, exactly. It's no, um, you will remain faceless. You you keep that on. You remain faceless. You and not only that, told. in the Empire, they do have names, just not when they're on duty. In yeah. the era of the First Order, they do not have names. Yeah, he's, you know, FN 2187 or whatever yeah. from childhood. Exactly, yeah. Um, which, you know, kind of um, marries the Republican... Uh, like the clone army and the droid army together. You've got living, breathing people, but they've been programmed. Um, I, in my opinion, they've been programmed beyond what the clones were even programmed for. Yeah. Um, the Republic wanted the clones to be able to think dynamically in the moment um, with the plan that when the time came, they had a biochip that was going to get triggered and they were going to, you know, good soldiers follow orders. Mm hmm. The First Order, not implanting biochips in people. They're just straight up brainwashing them to never question anything ever um, and to just behave like droids, essentially. That's a really good point. I had actually thought of that. So, I think we've just about exhausted our... Not necessarily exhausted the topic, but I think we've exhausted the time. Um, um, let, me, let me hit you with a fun question to okay, close this yeah, out. Yeah. Would you consider a Jedi mind trick to be a war crime? Uh, depends on what, how it is used. Like, I where, think... Where would you draw the line? I think the minute you're using it to allow... I, I, sort of following the Asimov's laws of robotics, allowing someone to come to harm through it. Like, I think um, Ben Kenobi's mind trick... Um, on Tatooine is not because they were just another random faceless person who got by. That dude's not going to end up, you know, getting stuck in the torture chair because he let those guys go past because they're not going right. to remember that specific person. 
you know, a year a year later when he's when the guy's looking and seeing like this is the guy who blew up the Death Star, he's gonna be sitting in his bunk staring at the hall of it and going, Oh, that was that kid. <laughs> Whoops. I, that was my bad. Yeah. Um, but I think the minute you try to like use a mind trick to um manipulate somebody's mind into doing something that they would be themselves opposed to. Like, I feel it's more like Obi-Wan was giving a suggestion like, oh, these aren't, these aren't them. There, there's a, if I, if I'm picking up correctly, I think I agree yeah. with you here that there's a difference between like, Hey, you didn't see me. Yeah. Um, because that, that's a passive thing. It doesn't require the other individual to do anything. Yeah. You're just, kind of, oh, hey, I wasn't here. And then they go, hey, yeah, you weren't here, whatever, man. Um, they continue about their day like nothing else. But if you're like, hey, open that door for me. Yeah. And then you they open that door, which allows you to then walk in and, like, murder all their friends. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or telling somebody, like, drop your weapons, and then they put, you know, they lower their weapons, and then you cut them down. That's a war crime. So for it to not be a war crime... Um, or at least for it to be a forgivable war crime, you would, in this situation, a Jedi would say, hey, drop your weapons. Uh, everybody drops their weapons, and then they take them prisoner. Or, yeah, that, that I know, could whatever. see as much more defendable because you were actually protecting life. You're, you're in, a, in a way, you're diffusing a situation yes. uh, and ending it, it nonviolently. If you had said, hey... Um, Maybe if you if you hadn't used the mind trick, and then they're shooting at you, either they kill you, or you kill all of them, and then lives are taken. But if you're using it to defuse a situation, then yeah, that's where I would not give you a dark side point in the role playing game. Uh, I would love to hear from our all of our listener. Um, tell us what war crimes are. <laughs> tell, tell us what war crimes you think are acceptable. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if you have a line for Jedi mind tricks on being war crimes. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. This is our second episode with the, uh, the new format and everything. Um, I would like at some point to start talking about different aspects, like do a little, like a little like five minute segment in the end, talking about a specific, very like precise element of the star Wars universe, like a specific location or something like that. So if you have any that you'd like, to um, have us talk about. Um, you can ask us on the Facebook page. Um, you can ask us on our Twitter and then also over at voicetherebellion.podbean.com. That's where you'll find us if you aren't um, using a, a podcasting app. There is a place for you to leave comments. So we're happy to hear that there. So uh, yeah, let us know what you think. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.